reformers in American history, including the suffragists who organized the first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, 15 miles west of Auburn, and the man who overturned barbaric penal practices at the Auburn State Prison, Sing Sing, and penitentiaries across the country. Auburn was a stop on the Underground Railroad, and some of the families they knew had hidden runaway slaves in their basements. Dorothy's grandfather lived next door to William Seward, President Lincoln's Secretary of State. One day when she was visiting my family in Weston, Connecticut, she recorded an oral history, speaking with unerring precision about her childhood and about her time in Colorado. Retrieving the transcript of the tape, I was reminded of the breathtaking brevity of America's past. I remember Dorothy as white-haired, impeccably attired, and sometimes stern. The second youngest of seven children, she grew up in a big, hip-roof, clabbered house staffed by servants. Her bedroom and that of her younger sister, Millie, were in the nursery reached by the back stairs. Raised largely by their nursemaid, they rarely stepped into the kitchen. When Dorothy's four children were growing up, she didn't know how to cook anything except creamed potatoes and hot cocoa. Every night she brushed her hair a hundred strokes with a French boar-bristle brush. She joked to us about her height, four feet eleven and shrinking every year. To reach her high mahogany four-poster bed inherited from her parents, she had to use a footstool upholstered in needlepoint. She gave me tips and etiquette, how to file my nails, how to set a formal table, how to avoid acting common. When I was a slouching teenager, she showed me how she had been taught to walk across the room with a book balanced on her head. On my 18th birthday, she wrote to me, To be happy, it is necessary to be constantly giving to others. I do not mean to give and work alone, but all of yourself. That means interest in other people, not only by affection, but by kindness. She didn't like the fashions of the 1970s. Curtains of hair, tie-dyed t-shirts, and tight bell-bottoms, and once told me haughtily, I never wore a pair of trousers in my life. For all that, she was spirited and funny, not at all the deferential young woman she had been brought up to be. After she and Roz returned from Europe, they attended friends' weddings along with traditional luncheons and balls, but six years later they were still uninterested in the suitors who were interested in them. Chafing at the rigid social routines and not getting anywhere with the ineffectual suffrage work they had taken on, they didn't hesitate when they heard about two teaching jobs in Colorado. The nine months my grandmother spent there seemed to have shaped her as much as her entire youth in Auburn. She was full of expansive admiration for the hard-working people of Elkhead, and when she faced great personal difficulties of her own, she called to mind the uncomplaining endurance she had witnessed in the settlers and their children. She and Roz, like other Easterners going west, were time travelers, moving back to the frontier. Although they ventured out after the first settlers— and went by train rather than covered wagon, their destination felt more like 1870 than 1916. They took with them progressive ideas about education, technology, and women, and postcards from their travels abroad. The homesteaders, motley transplants from across the country, Europe, and Russia, lived almost 20 miles north of Hayden. Effectively cut off from modern life by poverty and the Rocky Mountains, the pioneers found the two women as exotic as Dorothy and Roz found them. Although World War I was looming, such a cataclysm was unimaginable to Americans who knew nothing of combat. 
Dorothy sometimes talked disparagingly about her grandfather's brother, who had avoided service in the Civil War by paying a substitute to take his place, a common practice among wealthy families in the North. Just weeks before Dorothy and Roz left for Colorado, President Wilson averted war with Mexico. The prevailing spirit among the elites of Auburn, the industrialists of Denver, and the homesteaders of Elkhead was an exhilarating optimism about the future. These people were swept up in some of the strongest currents of the country's history, the expulsion of native tribes, the mining of gold, silver, and coal, the building of a network of railroads that linked disparate parts of the country and led to the settlement of the West, the development of rural schools, the entry of immigrants, African Americans, and women into the workforce in the voting booth, even the origins of modern dance. Their lives were integral to the making of America, Yet the communities they built, even their idioms, had all but vanished. As I got to know the children and grandchildren,